You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 91 with Ali Damron. Welcome to Heart Food. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo Ortega. This is a weekly podcast for introverted, super sensitive, smart, and deeply ambitious women who have a call in their heart that they deserve more. My goal is to give you more strength, freedom, confidence, and purpose in your life through the four different avenues that this podcast will be covering. Mindset, nutrition, health, movement, and cooking, business, sales, communication, and entrepreneurship, and lastly, spirituality and psychology. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and reach out to me at any time at Ashley K. Pardo. Share this podcast with others who you think might love it. And please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Hey friends, I'm so excited to be bringing you an interview. Uh, It's been a long time since I have released one and I'm so excited that my friend Ali is on the show today. When we recorded this episode, I was just a sponge listening to everything that she had to say and we could have continued talking for a really long time. We have a ton in common and similar missions Allie is a mom of two little boys, an acupuncturist in the Denver, Colorado area, the podcast host of the Allie Damron Show, and she also has an online business where she offers one-on-one consultations and online programs. She is having one now called The Anxiety Fix, and she also has a Heal Your Hormones Masterclass. She specializes in women's health and is passionate about helping women with anxiety, hormonal issues, sleep concerns, and overall wellness. So you can check out the show notes for this episode to find out how to get in touch with Ali and find her. We also talk about it at the end of the episode. But in this episode, we talk about sleep, we talk about hormones, we talk a lot about anxiety. I know that you all will resonate with this episode a lot, and don't hesitate to reach out to Ali if you want to go ahead and say hi. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Ali. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to have our conversation. I know, and we've we actually recorded for your podcast, uh, the Ali Damron Show, yesterday, and um, today we've just been talking a little bit, and we've been realizing how much we have in common and how really aligned our philosophies are like around nutrition, you know, healing, hormones and stuff like that. And I'm really excited to talk to you today about a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the audience members that maybe aren't familiar with you, why don't you just give them a little rundown of what you do now and how you got started. So if you could maybe even talk about like what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an acupuncturist in the Denver, Colorado area. That's kind of my trade. Um, And I also have an online business where I focus on like female hormones and anxiety and a little bit of fitness and nutrition stuff. Um, But my goal is really to just help women kind of overcome their hormonal symptoms um, and get on with their life so that they can do what they want to. That stuff kind of weighs us down and it's a burden. And so that's really my goal for my patients. Yeah, I've had kind of a long journey to get here, to be honest. So I used to be a personal trainer. That was kind of the step before this. And I did that maybe like 10 uh, years ago, a little longer. I was that in college. And um, as a kid, I actually, you know, I I wasn't super athletic. My parents put me in different things. I just didn't didn't resonate a lot with me. Um, And I did play until high school, different things, and didn't eat healthy at all. I lived in Western Nebraska, definitely the standard American diet. My parents were business owners, super busy. So cooking was not a great thing either. Mm. And so, yeah, I just kind of grew up like eating a lot of fast food, a lot of processed foods, things like that. And I became interested, I mean, kind of like all girls, like at the end of high school, I started wanting to change body composition. I started thinking that I was bigger than my friends, started wanting to be skinnier and things like that. So I found the Atkins diet, did that for a while. That kind of messed up my mindset around food for like a solid decade. Um, I was like scared of carbs and I was kind of in like the binge deprivation cycle of like, okay, never going to eat a carb again. So I better eat a lot tonight type of thing. Um, 
And I guess simultaneously throughout this process, I had a lot of family members that were having health issues. So my dad got diagnosed with cancer at 44 years old. Mm. Um, and that was really traumatizing for our family. And then um, I had some grandparents have some issues. My mom had rheumatoid arthritis. And so kind of a lot of things in my world when I was in my late teens and early 20s kind of started to come crashing down. And I remember thinking through like all their treatments and all their things and kind of, I was interested in the world of personal training at this point too. And kind of thinking like, you know, there has to be like a, a way that like, this isn't just like fate for everybody. Like we don't yeah. just like, you know, get these things and it's like kind of like, you know, unlucky. Um, and so I kind of started to be interested in like wondering, you know, if there was something better out there, like different treatment options, things like that. Um, and then I kind of started to wonder if I could look into some of these different things. And so simultaneously in college, I um, was friends with somebody who had come from California and she was going to be a chiropractor. And so she started to introduce me to like, and it wasn't healthy, but like organic food. Like I had never been exposed to that at all. Um, and she was eating like organic cookies, but it was like my first exposure to like anything other than like fast food really. And so, um, that was kind of interesting. And then she told me kind of about chiropractic. She told me about like acupuncture at the time. And so kind of just like one thing led to another. I started becoming a personal trainer. I started running marathons, um, a couple years later and I started working actually in corporate wellness after uh, college. And so through that experience too, I realized that, you know, these people were coming in and I realized that they needed more than just like fitness. They needed like, like their blood pressure was high and they were starting to have health issues and stuff. And so that was actually like a really big theme of my life in my early twenties was like chronic health concerns. And so, um, I guess, yeah, just like kind of one thing led to the next and I became interested in like yoga and then, um, the market crashed and corporate wellness jobs were really no more. And so I had to kind of figure out plan B. Um, and I traveled abroad backpacked through Asia and Australia and stuff for a while. And then I decided to come back and kind of uh, get it together a little bit. And I went to acupuncture school. Yeah. That's awesome. so, I mean, that's kind of the big, the, the long side of the journey. And then from there I uh, got married in school and I started having kids. And so through that experience and learning about, you know, from fertility, pregnancy, and then postpartum, that's when I actually got really interested in women's health stuff. Yeah. And it, it all goes hand in hand sort of, cause I'm a big fan of acupuncture. Um, I had a woman in Miami that I would see regularly. She like my parents are like very like not into the woo stuff, you know, yeah. not that acupuncture is woo. Yeah, or totally a lot of people just don't believe in it. And I'm yeah. sure you see, you see that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, my parents are like, Oh, don't go to that. Like hocus pocus or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my jaw was locked for like three years. Like oh. not, not like I couldn't open my mouth, but yeah. like only open it a certain amount. Oh. And after a couple treatments that she did, I went in for her because like I um I had like a pinched nerve in my neck or something and she took that away. And mm -hmm. then she saw how I was talking and she's like, what's up with your jaw? And I was like, oh, I just haven't been able to open it for three years. I thought it was gonna, I was going to get jaw surgery. And she's like, oh, we're, we're going to do, she was a Chinese lady. She's like, we're going to do a treatment. And in one treatment, my jaw opened. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And that was, I was like, I'm hooked. Like anything yeah. <laughs> she did stuff on my knee, uh, just different, you know, so I'm not seeing her anymore, uh, right now, but, um, that was something that like just really shifted for, for me. So can you talk about like, just for people who are unfamiliar with what acupuncture is, what goes on and how can you sort of like maybe demystify some of the misconceptions that happen with it? Yeah. So it is interesting. And I think, you know, there is a lot of kind of like misconceptions with it in Chinese medicine. We talk about like energy flow and some of that kind of that more woo woo stuff. Um, but in Western culture, we actually can talk about it very like scientifically. Um, basically when you do acupuncture, several things happen and kind of depending on the treatment. So like for you with your pinched nerve and your, and your jaw thing, that was obviously like a muscular thing that was just happening. And so, um, the needles in the area can help to really give blood and oxygen to that area and help to just really relax those muscles. So basically we work kind of like with the contraction of the muscle and help to like release that. Um, so that helps a ton with pain, um, which a lot of people now are familiar with like dry needling. Um, acupuncture is basically dry needling, um, or dry needling is acupuncture, whatever. Um, 
And then when we talk about more like internal medicine conditions, basically the way that that works in like a biomedicine type of explanation is um, different centers in your brain start to light up when the needles are inserted. So we have a nervous system and dermatomes and, and so your nervous system goes all throughout your body. And so when we put a needle like, you know, in, in exposition in your foot or something, you know, some part of your brain starts to light up too. Um, and it also encourages like for hormonally, it encourages your body to produce the right hormones at the right point in your cycle. So it works like with your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland, your ovaries, those types of things too. Um, and so I've seen like amazing, that's actually one of the reasons that I love women's health um, is because there is a lot of non-believers. And to be honest with yeah. you, a lot of women come to me for fertility and it's kind of like the last ditch effort. Like they've been through yeah. like their OB or whatever. They've maybe been through like a fertility clinic or something, or maybe they don't want to do that. And so they're just kind of honestly like defeated at the point. Um, and so they come and it's interesting because we, we treat them usually weekly for fertility, um, kind of hit each week of their period. And um, then you can see the results, you know, objectively on blood work. Mm. So I like that because it's not like, oh, I think I feel better, kind of like the placebo effect, which by the way, I have no problem with the placebo effect, but you actually can see blood numbers changing. Um, so I like that objective measure of it. So how do, can you just maybe dive a little bit deeper into like how acupuncture can help hormones specifically yeah. in the body? Cause that's something that like we hear a lot, but how does that actually happen? Maybe just like surface level science. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it can, it can do several things. So basically hormonally what happens, hormones by nature are just like little chemical messengers that are sent from either like your brain or your ovaries, your thyroid, your adrenal glands, um, to do certain tasks in your body. And so kind of depending on what hormone, if it's like estrogen or progesterone, those are produced more by your ovaries or adrenal glands. Um, and your body will tell them to do their job and then they go through the liver and then out, um, they're filtered through there and then they go through your large intestine to be excreted once they're done. So acupuncture works in several ways. It works to a tell your brain to produce the right hormones at the right time. It stimulates that production of like, um, your, or it stimulates your hypothalamus and pituitary gland to produce those. Um, so like for instance, the beginning of your menstrual cycle, estrogen is really high. So we want a lot of estrogen to stimulate, um, an endometrial lining to hold, hold the baby. We want, um, it to stimulate ovulation. And so it tells your, your brain tells your ovaries what to do. Um, and so that's one way that acupuncture can help is to tell your body when to produce certain hormones. Um, the second way is a lot of people have hormonal issues because their liver is a little bit backed up. Um, and liver health is probably a whole nother day. Yeah, we could talk probably a whole hour yeah, about that. You know, we're exposed to a lot of toxins and um, your liver is like a big detox organ. It filters everything that we eat and toxins and things like that through us. And so... Um, we want the, the hormones to go through there and then we want them to go to the large intestine and then out. If your liver is backed up because you're exposed to too many toxins, that's going to make a buildup of those hormones in your body. Um, so acupuncture also can sti stimulate liver function and help your liver to move quicker. The third way I think is, uh, it helps hormones is to help you have regular bowel movements. Mm, so, so if you're important. not having regular bowel movements, everything sits in there that's sitting in there gets reabsorbed, has to go back through the liver. Um, and it creates like this backflow and this like sluggishness of your body. Um, so it helps that way too. And then I think the fourth way that acupuncture, and this is probably my favorite thing about acupuncture, honestly, is that it really helps with like stress hormones. So it produces endorphins. If you have a lot of stress in your life or you're feeling anxious, you have a lot of adrenaline and cortisol going on, it can really help to calm those down. And when those hormones are high, then it starts to steal from like your sex hormones. So you hear a lot of women have like low progesterone, which makes you feel a lot of PMS. It makes you feel anxious. Maybe you can't sleep as well. The second half of your cycle, all symptoms that we see a lot of. Um, and a lot of that is because cortisol is so high. So yeah. I use acupuncture the very most, I think for my patients to help just relax, calm down their central nervous system. And then I think from there, hormones get to be more regulated. 
And it's really amazing the results that can be done or that can be seen with like acupuncture in terms of like even fertility and stuff mm-hmm. like you were talking about. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even like, you know, it isn't, it hasn't been until the last couple of years that I've become aware of like the cycles of my period and sort of expect yeah. certain things. Like I didn't sleep well at all last night. I got, I w- probably went to sleep at two 30, just oh. tossing and turning, but I'm getting my period like probably tomorrow. Oh yeah. So that's like, I'm like, I'm like, there we go. Like it's happening. I know that like, I might feel a little bit depressed or something Mm -hmm. or like, I hate my life. Like what's happening. And then I get my period and I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) There we go. It's, 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 yeah. I mean, the cycle of your period is crazy. Like now is the time for you in the second half where you're noticing, like we have a lot of like more, like we're more introverted this time of our cycle and a lot more like self, um, reflection. And so you have like more of a a critical part of yourself, like that, that person, that negative person starts to come out a little bit more in the second half. Like for sure. Uh, it's just been so interesting to observe that for myself and, and to see what, what can happen. Um, Mm -hmm. something else that we were talking about before we started recording were hormones and sort of like this dichotomy that you see now happening out in like our industry. That's like people who say, Oh, if you just balance your hormones, whatever that means, like everything's going to be fine. And then other people saying like, oh, if you're in a caloric deficit, then you'll lose weight and your hormones have nothing to do with it and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And those mm-hmm. neither of those feel great to me. So how do you sort yeah. of like, I know you sort of are in the in-between place. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about like, what does it actually mean for somebody who is pretty unfamiliar with this stuff to balance their hormones and how can that make them feel better? Yeah, so... So women's hormones actually affect how we feel a lot. So it affects blood sugar, it affects stress levels, it affects anxiety levels, it obviously affects our fertility and like monthly menstrual cycle and the symptoms that we get. Um, It affects a lot because literally, like I said, hormones are just little chemical messengers that tell our body what to do. It affects melatonin is a sleep hormone, so that affects that. Um, We have stress hormones, we have all these different chemical messengers that go through our body. And so... I actually think hormones dictate a lot of how women feel. And I think one of the things that's kind of disheartening is that a lot of women go to their doctor actually for, you know, maybe like fatigue and maybe like some PMS stuff, maybe just like not sleeping super great, maybe feeling a little bit more irritable or anxious. And they're all symptoms that are a little bit more like kind of ambiguous, like, okay, you could get on a sleeping pill and take some birth control. You could go on an anti-anxiety medication, but in my mind, like they're all the same thing. Kind of like what we were talking about with you with the low progesterone stuff. I mean, that's a really common thing. I think probably upwards of 60% of women, depending on the age, have that. It's like so common. Um, but that's like, that's what's happening. And so my, in my world, like we treat the low progesterone. We don't just like put little band-aids on all these different symptoms. Um, and so I think, you know, if you're, in my experience, when women tell me that they just don't feel quite right, I think that that actually is like a largely hormonal issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, it's just not something that we have like clear cut answers for all the time because they change all the time and our lifestyle changes all the time. So it's not like necessarily testing like your liver or something and like getting the enzymes back or getting like your blood count back and like, okay, it's either like this is an issue or it's not. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more gray area with hormonal health, I think. And so I think that's one of the frustrations. And I think that's why a lot of women are not feeling their best anymore because I think they're not getting treated right. Um, And so I think they can definitely impact us greatly. Um, And I think like you mentioned, I'm kind of in between kind of both camps with that because I do think, and I'm going to (laughs) probably regret saying this a little bit, but I do think like hormonal testing is fantastic, right? Like all the functional medicine stuff, we learn a ton about our body. It's all good and well, but like we were talking about earlier, I do think if we're feeling stressed out all the time and not sleeping and, you know, kind of like burning the candle at both ends and over exercising and under eating, and we have like all these facets of stress in our body, then in my opinion, like we need to address like those big umbrella issues, those big overview things and like maybe get more sleep, kind of change your perspective a little bit about like the stress management in your life, which we can talk about all of that stuff too. Um, eat, you know, more greens and more veggies, like exercise for appropriately for what feels good to your body, like those types of things. Um, 
And I think like once you've done that for a while and you're still having some symptoms, then maybe like go get the expensive, like detailed hormone tests. But in my mind, I don't really think we have a lot of business even testing that stuff until we like start to reel in some lifestyle things. And that's like in my own business and my own consults, women ask me all the time if they need hormone tests to work with me. And like, I'll happily read blood work and look at it. Um, And it is data for us for sure. But I'm like, you know what, if I just ask you the right questions and it takes me about 50 minutes to ask the right questions, I can get a really good picture into why your hormones are off and symptoms and like lifestyle and all that really does share a ton of information with someone who knows what they're looking for. Um, So I think that, and then I also think, you know, in terms of weight loss, like weight loss is a really largely hormonal process. Yes. Um, we have cortisol, we have insulin, which is your blood sugar. We have hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin. We have all kinds of things that happen. And so I don't necessarily think that you absolutely can't lose weight if your hormones are off. Um, but I do think that it makes it way more difficult And I do think that your plateau happens quicker. You risk like messing up your thyroid more if your hormones are already off. Um, So I think it is best to probably be more like air quotes balanced. Mm -hmm. Um, And to do that, I mean, I think there's a couple options. Like, like I said, the big things in my mind are like mindset, stress, self-care stuff. If you're not doing that, your hormones are probably going to be imbalanced. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of the name of the game. If your cortisol and adrenaline are high, then it's stealing from all your other hormones to kind of, kind of maintain that level of intensity. Um, otherwise like sleep, eating healthy food, which, you know, in terms of hormonal health, healthy food is really simple. It's literally like lean, healthy proteins, good sources without pesticides and chemicals and um, hormones, antibiotics, those types of things. It's fruits and vegetables and it's healthy fats. And then yeah. adding in little sources of carbs like rice, quinoa, amaranth, those types of things. So for hormonal health, nutrition is actually pretty darn simple. Yeah. Um, it becomes more complicated, I think, when you look at like body composition and like weight loss goals and those things about like how much you should be eating and all that stuff. But um, other than under eating for hormonal health, if you just eat those foods, your hormones are going to be probably pretty happy. Um, and then last, you know, if you're under a ton of stress all the time, like supporting your body with things like magnesium and B vitamins and vitamin C, and there's, I use herbs a lot for things like that, but you know, just kind of like looking at your lifestyle and supporting it. If you're, you're a business owner, I'm a business owner. Mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes. There's some late nights sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It can be stressful. So I just, you know, kind of take it in stride and try to get downtime for the stressful times and try to balance that out a little bit. Um, and I also do vitamins. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we could even like talk even about herbs for like a full hour. Yeah. As you're saying stuff, I'm like, I want to talk about so many different different things. Um, and I, I really want to talk about stress a little bit because I think as business owners, there's business owners who listen to this podcast or even just people who are high achievers who want more for their lives. Um, When we do that, it has, and we like almost like, and this is my own story, just almost feel high off of just going, going, going. And I can point back to like times in my life where I have just not stopped Mm -hmm. and I look pregnant as that's happening because I'm just so bloated from like the cortisol that's pumping through my body mm-hmm. and stuff. So maybe talk to us a little bit about like some natural remedies that we can do to manage our stress, which is not easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So stress is an interesting topic. And I think too, this is kind of one of my pet peeves that a lot of people in like the natural healthcare world are like, you know, manage stress. And to me when I, and cause I went through all this, like I had a lot of adrenal issues, which means like stress related stuff. Um, had a lot of hormonal imbalances. I had, I felt kind of like tired and wired all the time. I felt burnt out. Like I had all this stuff. And so when I was going through that and like trying to figure out what to do for myself, like the fact of like managing stress, like people would tell me that. And I, it just seemed so abstract. Mm, It just seemed like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to cut out. And especially if you're in that cycle, like you, it's really hard to see a perspective of like where actually you have control over your time, what you could cut out those types of things. So it's kind of my pet peeve. And people say like manage stress, 
Like that's, no one knows what that means. And to be honest with you, I think it makes us feel as if our bodies are kind of weak and non-resilient. Yeah. Um, when we are like such resilient people, like our bodies are crazy machines and can overcome so much stuff. And for me, it got to the point where I was almost like scared to be stressed. And when stress is natural. Yeah. Like this is so bad for me and I'm stressing out and then I was sort of being stressed about being stressed and, and these types of things. And so number one thing, which I know we're going to get into this too, but was honestly personal development stuff. Yeah. Um, so that really, really helped change my perspective because I think a large part of stress is actually not the stressor. It's not necessarily being like too busy. It's how we're responding to that. And it's like the things that we're telling ourselves. So you and I kind of talked about this on our own, on my podcast yesterday, but I think this can go into like a bigger thing than just food and like, are you telling yourself that like you can't handle this, that you're overwhelmed, that you're too busy, that you, you know, aren't good enough for this, that you don't deserve this? Like what, what are you actually telling yourself? Because if you tell yourself over and over and over those things that I'm so stressed and I'm overwhelmed, you're going to feel stressed and overwhelmed. And guess what? Your body's going to also respond to that with some cortisol and adrenaline. Yeah. Um, and so I think a large, a large portion of it is literally like, keeping things into perspective. And so being realistic about what you can keep on your plate and not adding like things that you know are just going to stress you out um, as much as you can. But also when you feel stressed out and overwhelmed, just keeping perspective about like, I'm strong, I can do this. This is what I was made for. Like really keeping it positive and keep going with like those positive affirmations has been life-changing for me at least. Mm, I love that. That's been such a huge help. I love that so much. And, um, I would love to get into, I definitely want to talk about personal, like get into your particular story with personal development. Cause like yeah. for a lot of people, it does a 180, like in terms yeah. of who you are and your identity. It's like, I look back at old pictures and I'm like, who is that? Like literally mm-hmm. who is that person? Yeah, um, absolutely. But so many people that listen to this podcast before we talk about personal development a little more, uh, struggle with anxiety. And this is something that I've struggled with like my whole life mm-hmm. still to this day. Um, so talk to us just about like, have you struggled with anxiety? What's your story with it? And what are some things that we can do to feel better? Uh, because I think that like, I don't think my anxiety is ever going to go away. That's sort of what I've learned. Yeah. Um, and I... So then I have to think about like, okay, what can I actually do? What action steps can I take in order to like for it to not rule my life? Like, yeah, like it felt like it did for a long Mm -hmm. time. Oh, absolutely. Anxiety is like paralyzing and crippling and so heavy and dark and deep all the time. And yes, like I've definitely gone through strong bouts of anxiety. Um, I think so kind of backing up in my story a little bit. So my dad passed away when I was 19 of cancer. Um, and you know, I actually wasn't super anxious after that. So like shockingly, I was actually okay until I had my own kids. Mm. And I realized once I had my own kids, which was close to nine years later, like it was, it was a good amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized kind of like his passing, like the remark or like what it did to me. And I never wanted to do that to them. And so Mm. I had like the worst health anxiety ever, any single sensation, that I ever felt in my body, I would just totally go to the, the worst place possible right away. There was like not even a thought process that happened with it. It just happened. And so that was like a constant thing for me for probably like four years. Mm-hmm. It was a long time. And I, you know, I talked to a counselor about it. So I did do that. Um, and that did help, but I think personal development actually probably helped more, mm-hmm. um, or at least the combination of it. Um, and so I think a couple different things. So one of the things that the counselor actually told me that was the biggest help for anxiety was that anxiety is not wrong. And so I think a lot of us with anxiety feel this, like, at least I did feel this like shame and self blame. And when you have it, you go through these thoughts of like, what's wrong with me? What am I going to do about this? Do I go get meds? Do I start meditating more? Like, Mm -hmm you know, this is so uncomfortable. Am I dying? Cause the symptoms can be really strong. Sometimes, um, you go through all these things and then becomes like, there's something wrong with you, like the shame of all of it. And so that, that 
definitely perpetuates the whole cycle of it when you start feeling like there's something wrong with you. Um, but I guess the first step would be to accept it. Like yeah. literally it's not throwing in the towel to thinking that you're going to have to live with anxiety for the rest of your life, which was my hang up with accepting it for a long time. It was like, I can't accept this lifestyle. Like I don't want to, it doesn't, it's so miserable. I can't enjoy my kids. I can't enjoy my life. Um, and so it felt like throwing in the towel, but eventually I got so desperate that I just did it. And I was like, okay, so every, you know, time I got like a rapid heartbeat or lightheaded or anything, I would just be like, okay, this is just anxiety. Like I'm okay. This is just anxiety. And I would like keep myself busy with what I was supposed to do in the day. Um, and just keep telling myself that over and over and over, like non-judgmentally, it doesn't need to change. And that starts to create new like neural pathways in your brain. So each time that you don't buy into the anxiety of thinking, oh my God, this is so miserable, like go away. There's something wrong with me then you just are like, okay, cool. This is anxiety. Like, and then you can start to, you know, after you kind of feel the initial effect of it, you can start to think about like, okay, you know, I did actually like not sleep very well last night, or I've been really burning the candle at both ends lately. That's probably why this started. Um, because anxiety really is just like a defense mechanism, um, for other emotions that are kind of beneath the surface. They just, these other emotions like anger and grief and sadness, um, they just want to be seen. And so sometimes they come up as anxiety. The other side of the coin is depression to where you're just more apathetic to them. Um, and so I think kind of the second step is actually figuring out what's there. Like, are you angry in your life? Which I know sounds bad to a lot of people. They don't want to admit that they're angry, but life is hard sometimes. I mean, we go yeah. through things and we can be angry at loved ones and not, not love them. Um, but we can be angry. And so I think a lot of it too, is just like the acceptance and willingness to explore what is actually beneath the surface. A lot of us hang on for dear life, like trying to maintain this image and trying to keep it together that all this stuff is like boiling and bubbling under there. And the anxiety is what you feel. And it's um, even, so I think, if I no. can say something, it's even like yeah. for, for some people, I think it's like even creating an identity within the anxiety that that's yeah. almost safer of like, oh, I'm yeah. just anxious, can't even deal versus looking at mm -hmm. what, what's actually happening. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, there's this whole like theory of medicine called tension myositis syndrome that started with like low back pain. And this is like a whole other topic, but like low back pain and stomach pain and neck pain and those types of things can also be a distraction mechanism from some of these underlying emotions. Mm -hmm. And it does, it feels better to tell somebody, Hey, I'm having some low back pain today than like, Oh, I'm super pissed about yeah. my life yeah, right sure. now. Like yes. deep stuff. Um, and so that seems a little bit more socially acceptable too. Um, so I think you're totally right. Like there is an identity in it that you're just anxious. And the other thing too is like you go talk to a doctor or something and they diagnose you with like generalized anxiety disorder and that suddenly becomes like who you are. You're like attached to this yeah. um, diagnosis too, which, and like I said before, anxiety literally is just a human emotion. It's, that's just, everybody has anxiety. No one is immune to it. Yes. Some people are a little bit more hypervigil, um, than others, but every single person on the planet has anxiety. And I think like, for me, that was really helpful to understand that it wasn't like an all or nothing. And I think, you know, in today's society, whether it's through medication or even through like meditation, there's a whole big spectrum of how to treat anxiety. But the common theme is like, everyone wants to get rid of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and it's nothing to get rid of is a thing. So it kind of, that's really like my very first step is just kind of reframing how you view your anxiety can be really helpful. Yeah. Cause we almost resist it. And in the resisting, oh. we create this, we create two problems. Now we have the anxiety and now we're resisting it too. So it's like, wow, double <laughs> of something. Yeah. And yeah. For my own story, and I would love to talk to you just really quickly about medication because I, I started getting really anxious about, I think I had always been anxious, but I always covered it up with other stuff. So like mm -hmm. I had eating disorders. So yep. that took the place of my anxiety. Like I didn't feel anxious because mm -hmm. I had this secret yep. thing that I could just sort of take everything out on. Then in college, I started drinking a lot. So mm -hmm. that was my coping yeah. mechanism. Then yep. once I... Once I started like getting to the place, maybe, you know, like 
six, seven years ago where like, I didn't want to drink as much anymore. I got into a brand new relationship. I wasn't using food in like, you know, with behaviors that just didn't, weren't aligning with who I wanted to be. Then it all boiled to the surface. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh crap, now it's all coming here. And Mm -hmm. I spent like, and it was almost or it was unbearable. Some like some days I couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like went on like this journey. I'm like, I'm going to do yoga for two hours every day. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to mm-hmm. eat super clean. Like I'm not going to eat any sugar. I'm going to work mm-hmm. out. I'm going to go on walks. I'm going to read. And that became like a full-time job in and of mm-hmm. itself. Like my life revolved around that and it didn't help. Mm-hmm. And I ended up like my, my boyfriend at the time was now my husband would see me sometimes and he's like, maybe we should look into like other things. Mm -hmm. If like you're trying so hard, these natural supplements Mm -hmm. and whatever else isn't working, like just go see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So I saw a psychiatrist uh, and they put me on 10 milligrams of Prozac. This Mm -hmm. was three years ago and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. Like it totally like I was like, wow, this four, I only paid $4 a month (laughs) for this stuff. And, And it really like helped. It gave me my life back to yeah. the, to the point that I felt like I could be functional with it. And, and for yeah. me coming, you know, being a nutritional therapist, coming from this holistic world, there was a lot of shame involved there. Like, oh God, Absolutely. I'm almost like succumbing to this. Mm-hmm. So yep. what are your thoughts on medication? Cause I know a lot of people out there go through mm-hmm. this. So maybe oh, yeah. you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I treat a ton of patients with on medication. And I think, to be honest with you, I think that sometimes it's great because yes, there's work. And I know that you've done a lot of the work to figuring out like some of your patterns in your life and some of your emotions and those types of things. But to be honest with you, sometimes when the anxiety is so intense, it becomes really difficult to be able to do the work. Yeah. Because you're sitting there so anxious and you're just, it, it just becomes a cycle, honestly. Um, and it just becomes really hard to kind of break in somewhere. And so I think the anti-anxiety medication can really help that. Um, and it's kind of like a choice of whether you want to do it forever or whether it's a short-term thing. Um, and I also think it depends on the life you know, the season of life you're in, if you're in a really busy, like overwhelming season, it's probably not the time to like try to wean off or anything like that. But if you're feeling like really nurtured, meaning like physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that stuff, having a lot of connection and stuff, it might be a better season to try. Yes. Um, so yeah. And I, I do know anxiety in general medications or shame around all of it, which is crappy. Yeah. That I really am trying to, to break through that. Yeah. Cause like I, I resisted it for years, you know, and I'm like, I would spend then in the resistance hours of my day, mm-hmm. like three hours a day trying to do things that would manage my anxiety. But it was like, I was almost fighting against it. Like, Oh, I'm going to do yoga. So then I'm not anxious anymore. And I'm going to meditate. So I'm not anxious anymore. And it mm-hmm. just like create, like my life had to revolve around it and it just wasn't fun. I'm like, I can't keep living like this and it's no, not helping. Absolutely not. Um, that's actually, so this is kind of a weird thing, but that's actually what meditation did to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of the thing with anxiety, like the, what I talked about earlier with the first step of accepting it is literally to non-judgmentally not try to change it. So like I got caught in the trap too, where I was like, okay, I'm going to just get on all this stuff and I'm going to meditate. I'm going to journal and I'm going to make this my full-time job. And the thing is like, might help some like journal. I I still recommend journaling, but when you view it as like something that you have to do every night to keep your anxiety at bay, literally like what you resist will persist. And so that's telling your brain that you actually are scared of your anxiety and that it's a thing for you. And so it knows that it can use it as a distraction mechanism versus like what I said, when I said, like, just go into the mirror, look at yourself and be like, today I'm anxious. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And just leave it at that and don't, don't even buy into it at all. Um, that's a better way to share to your brain that like, this isn't the distraction that I'm going to use anymore. It's not going to work. Exactly. And, and you talking about the neural pathways is something that I can literally feel happening uh-huh. to my brain through my journey with anxiety before mm-hmm. it was like, okay, a thought would pop up and then it was automatic, like doom. Like for me, I have even now still a little bit of anxiety around like the people closest to me dying, Mm -hmm. like my parents, my sister and my husband, like the four of them, like just having like creating scenarios of like, what if something happens to them and what would I do? Um, But just before the thought was like immediate doom, worst case scenario. Now it's like through many years of like doing the work 
and stuff. And obviously like the medication helps, but mm-hmm. it doesn't fix, it doesn't take away everything. Right. Um, I can feel the thought happen and then I can feel space in between. Yeah. And I can feel and, yes. that changing. It wasn't always like that. And it's exactly. sort of crazy. It's like, oh, okay, that's the thought and that's happening, but all right, mm-hmm. like I can talk back to it. Not meanly, right. you know what I mean? But yeah, like, no, you I have can like reason with myself. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. And I can distinctly remember like talking to the counselor when I was literally, I would get a sensation like a pins and needles or like anything that's normal, but this thing in your brain like switches and it's like, okay, no, this is actually going to be scary now to you. And it happens so quickly that you don't get the choice to make the decision. It's just like, okay, no, you're going to be scared of this now. And then it's like, okay, no, this is probably like MS. Like that was my thought process for a long, long time. And so when I talked to my counselor, I was like, I don't, because it was such like cognitive therapy. I was like, I don't have the choice. Like, like you said, I have no space in there to like interject here and be like, no, it's not. There's no reason to believe that or any of those things until I finally, I mean, we tried a couple different techniques and stuff. And, um, you know, I finally just started like being like, okay, what if it is MS? And just the level of acceptance of my life, like that had to be something that I practiced over and over and over. And now I do have that space where I can, you know, try to talk myself off the ledge or like try to bring in some realistic thoughts. Um, but before it was just like, there was no space at all. I had no choice in the thought. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's so interesting how just like small little acts of dedication, uh, (laughs) with anything can really make such a huge difference over a long period of time. So like, this isn't something I don't think that like gets solved immediately you know, or even ameliorates immediately. It's like little consistent actions done over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. In my case, years. And we were even talking about this yesterday with like our journeys with food, like how long that took, um, that it is okay. Um, Mm -hmm. but before we get into the personal development, I'd love to talk just really quick about sleep and how, how important it is to get sleep for people. I feel Mm -hmm. like now, more people are talking about this and becoming aware of the fact that this is really important. So talk about maybe what happens as we sleep and why it's important to get good sleep and maybe like two or three tips that you could give us for better sleep. Yeah, of course. Okay. So number one thing when you sleep, um, and there's research that shows if you sleep from like 10 PM to 2 AM, um, all this magical stuff happens. So for one, you produce more human growth hormone during that time, which human growth hormone is really uh, prevalent in kids. And that what's make that is what makes them feel like their skin feel really great and like mm. their energy and their muscle tone and like all that stuff. And as we age, we start to like lose that a little bit. Um, and so your body likes to produce it from 10 to 2 AM if you're sleeping. Um, and so as women, like wanting to live long vitality or like long vital lives and have a lot of vitality, um, that is definitely a hormone that we want to incorporate into our life. And so sleeping for those four hours is great. The other thing that happens is if you go to bed, um, by that point, you miss like a second cortisol surge. So if you've ever noticed, like if you stay up kind of late, like maybe you're tired, like earlier in the evening, um, or around like a normal bedtime, and then you stay up and kind of like uh, keep going. And then you're just like wired, like you're just like awake then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you get like the second cortisol surge that's supposed to happen from actually your organs detoxing. So your body does like this big, deep clean at night. Um, it's called autophagy. And so it goes through and produces antioxidants and it eats all the viruses and form particles and it does all this, this deep cleaning, but it can only do it if you're sleeping. And so if you're awake, what you're left with is literally like this big energy surge, um, but your body can't do that. So then it makes it harder to actually go to sleep too. Um, so that is part of your liver, your liver detoxes, you produce human growth hormone, um, you produce more glutathione, um, which is a master antioxidant. Um, you produce higher levels of melatonin. Um, so all these great hormonal things and just overall like maintenance things of your body happen while you're sleeping. Um, so if you miss that, there's so much research now that shows what sleep deprivation does for you. And if any of you have, or if your listeners are young moms, uh, are moms of young babies, I totally understand. I was there for a long time and I know that it really sucks when people tell you to sleep and you have a baby that's waking up all night, but, um, 
but you'll get past that and it, it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, so sleep is super important. Um, hormonally, you get more cortisol, your blood sugar's off, you're more hungry, you become more leptin result, res, uh, resistant, which is your satiety hormone. So if you've noticed, like if you don't sleep as much, you crave more sugar and salt and fat and you're hungrier more often, um, that can be resolved with more sleep most of the time. Um, and obviously it just, it helps us feel energetic. It helps us feel mood is more stable. It does all kinds of amazing things for us. So sleep high on the priority list for sure. And as you were talking about the cortisol surge, I'm like, that's what happened to me yesterday. Like at, <laughs> at like midnight, I'm like, I'm awake. My husband's like, go to sleep. And I'm like, I had to go watch, you know, like go watch a little TV. Then I finally around like two, I went to bed. But yeah. I feel like I, it hardly ever happens to me. But today I'm like, oh, crap. It's like I feel like I have the flu, just mm -hmm. not awesome. And I'm like, it's just so crazy how impactful it is because it was something I sacrificed for such a long time. I know. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, yeah, so that's like a big tip is to try to aim for a 10 p.m. bedtime. Obviously, if you're going to bed way later than that, try to just like wean yourself slowly backwards because I know 10 can seem really early to a lot of people. Um, so just, you know, like kind of wean yourself backwards. Um, the other, my number one tip honestly is blue light. Um, oh, give yourself yeah. at least 30 minutes, like research shows 60 to 90. I know that seems impossible for some people. So 30 minutes at least without looking at screens or TVs, tablets, phones, those types of things. Um, because what's happening is when your eyes detect that light, it's literally telling your brain that it's daylight and to like halt all melatonin production which melatonin is your sleep hormone. Um, so it just, it makes it really a lot more difficult to fall asleep. It makes it harder to stay asleep uh, restfully. So if you do anything for your sleep, like aim to not scroll your phone in your bed. Which Give yourself something some space. We, yeah. we all do sometimes, know. you know, it's really hard. Um, but it feels different. Like I can feel, you know, like it doing something to my brain, you know, as I'm mm -hmm. looking through um, mm -hmm. the light. Um, but yeah, I would love now to talk about personal development because that's something that, you know, many of the women that listen to this podcast are into and my own journey around like my mindset, personal development, like to think of, like I told you to think of who I was 10 years ago, it's unrecognizable and it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk about like the impact that personal development has had in your life and maybe like who you used to be. I mean, we're all the same person, but like yeah. who you used to be and, and how that's changed who you are now. And, and maybe in terms of like your business too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I read a few personal development books, like a few years ago, like over the years, I would just find like little books that were kind of motivational or my mom knew I was struggling with anxiety and like some confidence issues. So she would send me them sometimes. Like I would read them and be like, okay, that was a nice story or whatever. But to be honest with you, my, uh, true personal development journey kind of started about a year and a half, probably about two years ago or, uh, or so, um, with actually Rachel Hollis's book, girl, wash your face. Like that I book for her. some reason just really hit me. And I was like, you know what? Like every single lie in there, I was like believing. And I was telling myself that, like I was telling myself, you know, my kids were, they're six and three now. So they were probably like four and one or whatever. Um, and I was like, you know, putting all this pressure on myself to be the perfect mom. And I was constantly berating myself, telling myself mm. I was fat and I was ugly. And I was trying to start this online portion of my business. And I also had the brick and mortar going and telling myself that I like, you know, couldn't get patients in the door and that I was bad at marketing and that, you know, I had no confidence in myself and that I couldn't do this. I mean, just the list went on and on and on about the things I was telling myself. And, and you, it really yeah. like just struck me. What Were you, you aware that that was happening or was it just like habitual life? I think it was like a habitual thing. And to be honest with you, I think I had done that my whole life. Yeah. I, I know I had done it my so whole common. life. I can remember. Yeah. I can remember in like sports as a little girl, just being like, you know, I'm not good at this. And just be, I was a really shy, timid, unconfident kid. Same. I just, yep. I, yeah. Same. I was just yeah. really nervous all the time to do things. And, you know, and I knew actually 
this weird thing happened. I knew after my dad passed, actually, that was kind of when I knew that I was stronger because I went to University of Nebraska for college while he was still alive, um, which was about six hours from my house. And it was just kind of like the status quo, what everyone did. And I was like, screw this. I'm not, I'm not going back there. I can't, I can't go back there. Um, and so I didn't, and I just packed up and, um, left with another friend and we went to Arizona state. I didn't know anybody. It was, I never driven in traffic before. Like it was a huge move for me. Mm -hmm. And so like, I had these little inklings along the way of like, I am stronger and tougher than I thought. And then I started running marathons, which another like whole theme in my life was like, our family's not runners. We can't run distance, like any sport that required any running, like that was off the table. And so I started to run marathons. And so I knew like at that point too, like I could, I could do what I put my mind to. And then kind of the third thing was, um, traveling abroad. And I just, again, we had never been out of the country before, never done any big trips or anything like that. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go to Asia. And I just packed up and left. And I was like a minimalist, which was totally out of the norm for my family. Um, and so I, you know, did these experiences and I guess it was like kind of after I read her book where she, or maybe following her or something. And she uh, suggested writing a letter to yourself from your perseverance. And so I like did that. And I actually like, that was life changing for me because I actually realized like I was tough. I was strong. I was resilient. I was like educated. I, I was all these things that I had never thought of myself as. I gave birth to my kids without drugs. I was, you know, I like endured the nights of sleeplessness. I did all these different things that I had never, ever, ever given myself credit for. Um, and so I think as women, like I see that all the time, we're just like thinking that these amazing things we're doing is just like status quo and we're not giving ourselves any credit for it. And instead we're being like, well, I don't look like her or she makes more money than me or her business is better or her kids are more well-behaved. There's like all these stories that we're telling ourselves, And so I was totally stuck in that until I started realizing what I was at, like started being more self-aware, I guess, of like what I was actually telling myself um, and realizing that I was berating myself like every single day, all day. It was never, ever anything positive or good or anything like that ever. And so slowly but surely, I started like, you know, just being self-aware of like when I had thoughts about my body, I'd be like, you know what, you birthed two kids, like you're not where you want to be. And I wasn't at the point, but you know, I had respect at least for my body. And then the same thing with business. If I told myself like, you know, on the days of self-doubt, which we all get those days, was like, you know what, you've come like this X amount far and you can do this. You've done hard things before. You're tough, you're strong. Um, and so it started slowly just kind of changing the dialogue. Um, and it's been like, you know, how personal development is. It's been yeah. life changing. Totally. I, I view myself in a whole <laughs> different window now, a whole different light. Yeah. And you really, I think it comes down to like having a different standard for yourself, you know, because as we were talking about before with the anxiety, we yeah. create an identity in the negativity. And it mm -hmm. almost feels good in a sense, you know, it yeah. feels really comfortable to just yeah. say those things. And also like, we're not even going to get into like the messaging that we get as women and, yeah. you know, yeah, the pressure absolutely. that we get, but like, it is a radical act in this world right now to say to yourself, I mean, things are getting better, I think, but like to say, to be nice to yourself, I think mm -hmm. it is more natural to be mean to yourself. And I think in the human brain, once we understand that, that like it's negative, it just mm -hmm. wants to survive. It's animalistic. It will resist yeah. and yeah. not want you to move past. I think once you realize like your brain is, is not your friend sometimes. Right. And to move past it by taking mm -hmm. those little action steps. And yeah, as you know, it's really life-changing. Yeah. I think, you know, I have learned a lot about like psychology and stuff too. And, um, that part of us that's like saying these mean negative things about us. Like I've heard two different things. Like I've heard that that's the ego talking, which I believe. Um, and that's not really like your true authentic self. Um, and your true authentic self is in there. You just have to peel layers and layers of marketing and relationship and like, you know, all the things that we've been exposed to, but it is in there. Um, and secondly, um, I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but, um, thinking that 
your inner critic is not you. It's like somebody that's been previously there that now you're taking as like your own basically. Yes. So like a parent or a teacher or like media, the marketing, whatever, um, you know, holding your, holding these different standards. And now you're like saying it to yourself, but it's not actually your own voice. And so I'm just kind of like realizing that and being like, you know, this is like BS. This is not true. These are lies. Um, in which that book was based on lies, Rachel Hollis's book. So I think that just like, just the way it was written just really spoke to me. Yeah. I'm a big fan of hers and I just watched her made for more, uh, Mm -hmm. documentary, which I loved. And I know you went to her rise conference. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I love them. I love her husband too. And, uh, you know, we need, I think we need that reminder. And for me, it helps so much to like surround myself with other people who are into it because most of the people in my life, um, you know, people who I grew up with, even family and stuff are just not into Mm -hmm. personal development to the level that I am. And like, it's okay. But at the same time, it's important to just actively seek out those people. And I always let people know, like, if you want to change and if you want to develop, it can't be a passive process. Like it's not right. just gonna, it's not just gonna come to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's active and uncomfortable and all of those oh, things yeah. are okay. All the things. You know? Yeah. I mean, I had to just totally, after that book, I just totally immersed myself. Like I've read probably 50 or hundred books now about it and just yeah. like all different walks of life and all different types of people, perspectives, things like that. Done a lot of like work on myself, like journaling and, um, just figuring out, like I said, like perfectionism is a whole nother topic, but figuring oh, out yeah. like where that actually came from, um, which stems from childhood stuff. And yeah, I mean, it is uncomfortable. There's a lot of tears shed, a lot yeah. of anger and all that stuff, but, um, man, it's a, it's a good journey and it's worth it. You know, it's worth all the work. Um, oh, absolutely. I could talk to you forever. We had like a million little side tangents, I know. I know. um, but I loved having you on today. I always ask my guests just a couple of quick fire questions. Yeah. Um, the first one that I ask is if you have any books right now that you are reading, or I know you mentioned Girl, Wash Your Face, but are there any other books that have just had a big impact on you throughout your journey? Yeah, gosh, I feel like there's a lot of them. So I liked um, Present Over Perfect. I'm actually, I just started last night um, the book, The Power of One. Or like oh, the yes. one thing. Yeah. Yes, which yes, is really yes. good. I, I'm liking that one a lot. Um, I read um, Trent Shelton's book and he spoke at Rachel Hollis's Rise Conference. He is amazing. His is a mm. lot about, he talks about some future stuff too, but his is a lot about the past. Mm. Kind of like, you know, figuring all that past stuff out, which I had done a lot of that work by the time I read the book. But um, if you haven't done any of that work, he would be a great person to start with. Perfect. Um And then this is my favorite question. Um, (laughs) What would be your last meal if you were on death row? Mm, I probably a cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love answers from people because people's answers are like all over the place. Like people say pancakes, a steak, Mexican food is a really popular answer. Um, And the last question that I ask is, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show, myself included, are spiritual. Mm -hmm. and they, or at least have something like maybe outside of themselves that they believe in, um, whether it's the universe or whatever it is, what are your beliefs about like what's out there in terms of like, you know, energy or life purpose, um, just along those lines? Yeah. So I'm a Christian, um, believe in God, but I also, I think if you look like, I'm also a big fan of like the universe conspiring for you. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, if you look at things kind of in hindsight, it's not always easy in the present, but I think if you look at things in hindsight, you like see why God, the universe, uh, either one that you believe in kind of did things and like shaped things if you look for it. So like through my dad's death, I really had to like search for like how this happened for me and like how this did anything positive for my life. And I figured that that out. But, um, I think that those types of beliefs help figuring out the hard times and why things are happening for you or to you or for you. Yeah. And I used, I used to be a person who was like, Oh, everything happens for a reason. I don't really believe in that anymore, Mm -hmm. but I do think that 
um, because terrible things happen to right. a lot of us. You know what I mean? We can't really just make that blanket statement on top of it. But I do mm-hmm. think that like when things happen, we can make it mean something and we yeah. can, you know, rise from it and, and do something with it. Like you talked mm-hmm. about your own experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think so too. So let us know where we can find you online and also let us know a little bit about your upcoming free program. Yeah, for sure. So um, online, my website's AllieDameron.com. You can find me um, on Instagram as well at Allie Dameron. I have a couple of Facebook pages, but Instagram's probably best. Um, and then my free challenge. So I'm actually doing a program called the Anxiety Fix. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have um, a free challenge called the Five Day Anxiety Reducing Challenge, where I teach all the stuff that we kind of talked about here, plus a lot of like... Um, So we talked about the first tip, uh, which is acceptance, but um, we'll talk about five more days worth of things to kind of help speed along your anxiety journey and teach you different perspectives around anxiety. Awesome. So if you guys want to reach out to Ali, you can find her on Instagram or on her website. And you also have a podcast too, right? Called The Ali Dameron Show. Show. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely reach out to Ali if this resonated with you, but I really love talking to you today. And I know that I'll probably have you on again at some point for any of those extra topics. For sure. I'd love it. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. I'm so grateful that you tuned in today. If these episodes resonate with you, it would be a huge favor to me if you could share it with the people you love and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes.